You said something that caught my attention last week, and I have to follow up. You have six identified pillars that inform the content marketing decisions you make on what you want to share. You've talked about, obviously, one of those pillars is email marketing. Another one I think you mentioned last week was content marketing. What are the other four? Yeah, actually, so those are two of the primary pillars that are even above my content pillars, but let me break it down. So for instance, for email marketing, I have six content pillars underneath email marketing. One of them is email list growth. One of them is email content. One of them is email design. One's email automation. One's email monetization. And then I believe the last one, I'm going to forget my own content pillar here. I think the last one is, oh, email optimization. So, you know, increasing your opening, your click-through rates or increasing your sales from emails. So those would be an example of the six content pillars that go underneath the topic of email marketing. And so when I want to come up with an idea for content and I'm sitting there at my desk, like, oh, I don't have any ideas. I can take one of my content pillars, so let's say email list growth, and then I can just start jotting down common questions that people have about email list growth. Oh, so, you know, they have a sign-up form. Maybe they have questions about designing their sign-up form, what tools to use for their sign-up form, what to write on their sign-up form. And so then I can basically pull a bunch of topics from these content pillars. Wow. I can see why there's value in focusing on one thing and going deep on it, because I'll be honest with you, of those six sub pillars of email marketing, I've thought, I, I think I've spent all of zero minutes thinking about any of them, much less learning them, much less mastering them. So all of a sudden I'm looking at you going, man, if I have the desire to perhaps bring email marketing in even into my personal brand strategy or, you know, my campaign, whatever you want to call it, because I, I, I want to get my name out there more. I want to do more speaking for conferences and presentations and associations, all that stuff. And I've already developed, I don't know, 500 to 1,000 person email list, and I don't use it. I am terrible. I am the shoemaker who is barefoot. Do you work with people like me that would be like, oh, Liz, I just need some help here? Yeah. And there are quite a few companies I work with who they come to me and they know I'm an email expert and they'll say to me, yeah, we're not so sure if email marketing even works, but we've been told by a lot of people that it does. Can you, can you help us? Can you give us some thoughts on that? And so I've worked with brands who that's exactly where they're at and they have an email list that's kind of been sitting there. And, you know, bad things do happen over time when you don't send emails to your email list, but you can bring it back to life. And so I definitely work with a lot of companies who are in that exact circumstance and need help and guidance to move ahead. You know, again, you've got me thinking because obviously any company that's going to do any marketing activity, any individual who's going to do any marketing activity for themselves, their services, their products, whatever in their head or even on paper, they're going to try to figure out an ROI on that, an acceptable ROI. Like if you're saying I have to spend X, I need to make 3X on that 1X investment to make it worth my while. Do you have any examples that you can cite, not necessarily of your best, although I would like to hear your best, biggest, highest wow number, but kind of like you could expect to see a this level of return on investment if you do it right, the Liz Willits way. 
Yeah. So on average, companies see for every $1 they spend an email, they get $42 in return. And the really brilliant companies. Okay. So I'm going to say that's 42X. Yeah. Yeah. Are you kidding me? No. Uh, email is, is crazy effective. Wow. And that's an average or that's a garden variety number, not your massive successful campaign number? That's the average. It's actually 44 to correct myself. Some people oh, I'm glad. Four. I'm glad you updated another 2% because 42 <laughs> wasn't high enough. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's, it's very effective. And I think it's 20% of companies or one in five companies will find actually a 72, 70, 7,200% ROI or $72 for every $1 they spend. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. So based on you and your services and what you provide, is there a kind of perfect company or service product, whatever, that could really benefit from your services? I work a lot with, with SaaS companies, which there's a huge benefit for them. E-commerce is another one that can really kill it with email marketing. Um, but so can a lot of smaller brands and, and, and companies too. I haven't seen an industry. Let me say this. I haven't seen an industry yet where email marketing just didn't work, where, you know, we tried everything we could and it just didn't work. So I haven't seen that yet. Although, you know, maybe I'll confront that at some point or face that. It tends to work really well too when you have, when you've spent time growing your email list and engaging them. If you have a really disengaged email list and all of a sudden you try to monetize it, that's going to be difficult. So let's say I'm a company that's kind of sucked in by the trends that all my marketing has to go to Facebook or Google, digital spend only. What's your argument to someone like that? I mean, is it a, you should at least pilot a program, take 20% of your budget and try email. Is that a good argument to make to someone like that? Yeah, uh, I would definitely tell them, yeah, take uh, even 10% of your ad budget or 5% of your ad budget for the month. And you probably need to spend a few months to be realistic, uh, building sure. up your email strategy. But take that budget and then see how it does and compare it to your, your ad revenue. Ad, ads, are, ads are effective with a good strategy and they work and they should be a part of a large company's strategy for sure. But email tends to have a higher ROI. Yeah. So I'm running this through the personal branding lens because the nonfiction brand is, you know, this podcast revolves around the idea that everybody should create a personal brand that you can easily communicate who you are, what you do and how you do it by thinking it through and then focusing on it. So the fact, and again, Liz is a great example. You have seriously said, I am not about shiny object advertising and marketing. I am about one of the most tried, tested, and true areas of modern digital-oriented marketing, which is email. I mean, you're not printing ads that go in newspapers or magazines or radio or anything like that. But you, and I'm talking about Liz, you have staked your flag on a mountaintop, and that mountain is called Email Mountain. And it sounds like you have absolutely zero fear of that mountain crumbling to dust over time. Am I yeah. right about that? <laughs> yeah, you're right. A lot of marketers will say email marketing is dead. And, but they say it year after year after year. Email marketing is dead. Here's this new, new tool or this new channel that you need to do instead. But email marketing has been around since the 1980s and still works. So I'm not afraid 
to niche down and have that be the niche of my personal brand. And I think the best strategy and the one that's worked for me is to niche down and then slowly to expand that niche as you grow. And so I've started diving into more content strategy and copywriting topics when it comes to my personal brand. But the beauty of focusing in on email marketing is that anytime when someone thinks email marketing, they think of you if they know who you are. Whereas if you're this generalist, when someone's asking, hey, like I need help with my email marketing, they might not think of you. They might think of someone who is the definitive person who is the email marketing expert. So that's been the advantage of niching down for me. Does that answer your question? I think it was a bit roundabout. No, no, yeah, you're hitting on all the main things, which is the reason you got asked to present at conferences like Content Marketing World are because you're a specialist, an expert in a narrow topic rather than one of a garden variety bunch of generalists who are like, oh, yeah. You can get some email marketing from me, but I can also do Google ads and I can do this and that. No, you're saying, no, this is what I do, which is why you were on stage rather than in the audience. And I think that's incredibly important for anyone like me and some of the listeners of the nonfiction brand podcast who want to build their authority in any sector. I always use this example because I love to go to the extremes, but There's always been one person who is the internationally recognized expert on anodizing aluminum. You know, the idea of giving a coating, a durable coating to aluminum. That's a very, very small universe. And yet there is a king or queen of that universe who has gotten to that level within that universe because they specialize in nothing but that. Consequently, if there is and there are industry conferences on metal coatings and stuff like that, guess who they're going to bring? And they're going to fly out and they're going to pay whatever they care to ask for to get them to speak because no one has demonstrated the expertise that they have over their entire career and over all the social channels, if they're using social media at all. Riches in the niches. And it sounds like uh, you are a big proponent of that concept. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's hard. It's just really hard to be an expert in everything to the point where people want to hear what you have to say on it, because you just, when you're, when you're focusing on everything, it's hard to be an expert for sure. Yeah. Jack of all trades, master of none, never gets on stage. That's for sure. This episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast is brought to you by my new book, Nonfiction Brand. Discover, craft, and communicate the completely true, completely you brand you already are, now available on Amazon.com. Too many people for too many years have labored in obscurity. Why? Because that's the way it's always been. Work for someone else and remain nameless, letting others take credit for your hard work. But in today's hyper-connected, everything is media world, that's all changed. In 1997, Tom Peters outlined the tenets of a new concept, personal branding. Fact is, if you're not actively branding yourself based on who you are, what you do, and how you do it, you are leaving opportunity on the table. But with this book and a little bit of work, that opportunity is 100% yours to own starting today. Jay Baer, best-selling author of Talk Triggers, said, The book is outstanding. Highly recommended. A spectacularly useful guide to personal branding that pulls off the difficult trick of being both realistic and inspirational. A must-read, regardless of where you are in your own brand-building journey. 
To get your copy, head on over to Amazon.com and search nonfiction brand. And let's get you all the credit you deserve for the completely true, completely you brand you already are. So where are you taking your business right now? You said, are you a solopreneur? Yeah, I'm currently a solopreneur. And actually, this has been a big topic of debate for myself of where I want to go next, because I'm at the point where I need to hire or stop taking on clients or, you know, I'm just I'm just at, at capacity with clients. And so that's been a big debate for me. I think I might hire this year. And I also really love marketing education. So one of the ways that I want to transition my business is to focusing in on marketing education and helping other businesses and even other personal brands, you know, figure out their marketing strategy and grow an audience and be more profitable. So definitely planning to take it in the, take my business in the education field this year. I'm looking at LinkedIn. It says you're an instructor in digital marketing fundamentals at the University of Vermont. Is that still going on? Yeah, yeah. So I teach at UVM. It's their their digital marketing certification and I teach the email marketing week. And yeah, I love that. And for with the with my role in UVM, it's very part time, but I, I love education and I love it's just so rewarding. And I'm so passionate about marketing. And so it's so rewarding to talk about that and to help people grow their businesses. I've taught at webinars and conferences for at least a few years now. And then I got this UVM position. And so I just want to bring all of that experience I have to my own audience, because first off, I love doing it. Second off, it can make a big difference. And third, if you have a business or brand going into education is definitely a very profitable angle. Well, yeah, it's such a ticket stamp for, you know, your credibility and authority I'm I'm picturing myself as a MC at one of these conferences introducing you. She's the instructor of digital marketing fundamentals at the University of Vermont, and she has her own business, LizWillets.com. It's one of those, you know, ticket punches that really mean a lot. And it's I think it's a huge unlock when it comes to personal branding. If you can teach anywhere, if you can write a book of any length so that people can say, She's the author of blankety, blankety, blank. These are all massive level ups for your personal branding game. It's not a mistake that I've gone out to write two books. Now, whether anyone reads them, I can't, I can't make that happen. But I will say I can tout the fact that he's the writer of two books and blah, 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 blah. And even podcasting, you know, one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast, to be honest with you, I'm pulling back the curtain. Credibility building. I'm talking to Liz Willits today. You have mastered email marketing. And even though I don't have anything to do with that, the fact that I'm interviewing you lends a certain amount of gravitas and credibility to someone who deserves none of it. And I'm talking about myself, by the way. But that's exactly what you have to do when you're seeking to build a personal brand. And I want to go back again to what we talked about last week especially let's, let's put ourselves, let's role play for a little bit. Let's say there's someone out there who does a fair amount of public speaking, you know, presentations to groups and associations, conventions, that type of thing. They want to do more of that. I have gone to, I don't know, hundreds of speakers and I, I go to watch them speak. It's, it's more about how they do it than what they're talking about for me. And the best ones always have at the end. And by the way, if you'd like to get this free lead magnet, 
just text number to blankety blank and magic word and you'll be blah, blah, blah. What they're doing is they're, they're capturing your email address. And why is that? Let's go back to what we talked about last week. Kevin Kelly, a thousand true fans. If they can convert you onto the email list first and then eventually earn that thousand true fandom from you, that's what you're talking about, right? Like if I spoke to you in a room, the second we leave that room, our relationship is over. But if I can convert you onto my email list, that relationship can continue and grow and ideally convert over years. Did you work with any individuals specifically on their email strategies? Like in, in their own brand and their personal brand? Yes. I guess in a way, so their business is built on a personal brand, but they are definitely profitable businesses by the point that I was working with them. Uh, so for instance, one of them uh, was a, a plant-based nutritionist and food expert. And so had a profitable blog and the company was positioned on their personal brand, but it was definitely a, a profitable company at that point. Does that count? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because again, I'm not saying that there's someone who decides, oh, I'll throw some money and I'll develop an email list. You got to have stuff to sell. You got to have things of value to share. But that's exactly what I'm talking about, because that personal brand that happened to be involved with plant-based, whatever it was, there's no difference between the company and the personal brand themselves. And you know, that's my big belief. There is no separation. And unless you're a Fortune 500 company, if you own a company, your company is you. And it's built on who you are, what you do, and how you do it. So, yeah, can you go into that detail a little bit about that plant-based dude? Yeah, sure. So the company, the founder is a plant-based nutritionist, and she, it's a she. She's a female. Okay. So she has, she's a registered dietitian nutritionist, so definitely has the expert background always loved cooking all of her life. And so started this food blog probably about 10 years ago when uh, it was a really good time to start a blog. And so just posts a lot of plant-based recipes, meaning pretty much no meat, no animal meat products, plant-based recipes on the blog, many of which she developed herself. And the other thing about that industry is it's relatively new. So a resource who is filling a gap in the industry, which is there's not a ton of great plant-based recipes out there. That was a big key to her success. And the business is absolutely based on her personal brand because her, her Instagram following it's her and her family and them trying the recipes and it adds a ton of life and personality to the brand and so much humanity. And so people know her and when she, her, her company has a name, brand name, it's not her name, but people know who she is because she has such a great personal brand as a part of this business. Yeah. And that's the force multiplier of whatever the name of the product is, is again, let's do a little algebra here. Say it's X. Her association with it is X times a hundred because the power of that personal brand, the personability of it, the fact that you met via Instagram or other social channels, her family, you know, you see like I can I, I haven't even seen it. And I can guess that there are photos of little kids enjoying vegetables and moms are looking at this going, how does she do that? I need to know, which just creates and cements this relationship. And by the way, as you mentioned, she gives recipes, right? 
That's our lead magnet. Come back here. I got a new recipe this week. After about five weeks of that, you're going to feel a little bit of beholden to her, you know, not necessarily guilt quite yet, but it's like, wow, you know, she's given me so much and I haven't given her anything back. And then all of a sudden you find out she's got a recipe book coming up. Oh, I'll pre-order that. And, oh, I'm going to get one for my sister-in-law. Oh, and I have a friend who's kind of looking into becoming a vegan. Boom. I'm getting a copy for her too. And that's the power of personal branding, especially when it's connected to a product brand. Because if there was just a, and, and there are plenty of them out there, uh, plant-based foods, wah, 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 don't really care. You know, a, a product called Beyond Meat, do I really care about Beyond Meat? Not at all. I, I want, maybe I'm a little curious about it. But if there was an individual associated with that, not in an influencer way, not in a we paid them to be, but in the story of the brand, this person developed it for these reasons and here were the outcomes, all those stories can be told. And that's what creates a strong three-dimensional, fully founded personal brand slash branded business. All right, I've blathered on and on <laughs> enough. I do want people to know how they can get in touch with Liz Willits, who is my guest today. And let me start by spelling her name. L-I-Z, not a surprise, Willits, W-I-L-L-I-T-S. And you can find her at LizWillits.com, but you can also find her where on social media? On LinkedIn, under Liz Willits as well. That's your number one social channel, right? That is my number one. But if you're more of a Twitter person, I am also often on Twitter. And again, it's under Liz Willett. Well, very cool. And I suggest you check out LizWillets.com because there is a lead magnet there that I think is probably worth your time and effort to check out. It's a free guide, right? If you go on our main page and page down about halfway, you'll see something that says, say goodbye to open rates under 25%. Get Liz's free guide, How to Get Benchmark Busting Email Open Rates. You'll learn proven, simple strategies to write better subject lines and improve your chances of reaching the inbox. And then you just press that button, grab your free guide, and guess what? You're creating an email relationship with her because you're joining her email list. Oh my God, this is like a masterclass in ninja jujitsu here. I come to you for information about emails and you get my email Wow, that's some pretty crazy stuff there, Yoda. Thank you. Anyway, that's it for this week's episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. With me again, Liz Willits. Thank you so much for that. And by the way, Nonfiction Branders, I would love it if you would like, subscribe, refer, and review this podcast, especially the review part, because that helps people find it. I'm DP Knuton for the Nonfiction Brand Podcast, and she is... Liz Willits. And I'll be talking at you again next week. Bye-bye. <laughs> it's always hard at the end of the day. But anyway, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to do this. And uh, just in terms of a little housekeeping, I'm 